You're listening to Dr. Leslie Inspires, a show where we empower mothers by raising their level of awareness, discussing tough mother-son issues that everyone knows exists, but no one is talking about. Dr. Leslie is joined by Mr. Wayne, who provides insight from a male perspective. To learn more about us, visit our website at www.drlesleyinspires.com. Now, here's your host, Dr. Leslie. In my life, um, as well as in the life of my son, when I spoke with him several months ago after you and I reconnected, and I mentioned that you and I ran into each other, he did say that that was probably the most impactful time that he spent in school, the two years that he was there with you. Uh, Dr. Leslie had a homeschool program going, I'm not sure. Are you, Dr. Leslie, still doing that now? It's not so much the homeschool process anymore just because of some things that the state uh, requires, but the process and the, the way that we do things is still the same. Okay. Well, it was great. He got uh, great teaching and I felt comfortable when I sent him there. So on to my topic for tonight, which uh, according to Dr. Leslie would be in one ear and out the other, which probably is something that I say 24 times a day, once every hour, especially during the time that he was in my house. But I wanted to add a caveat to that topic, which would include communicating to be heard. Yes, it goes in one ear, not the other. But what we want to do is communicate in a way so that we can be heard and the messages that we're trying to convey will be met with a soft heart and an, and an open ear. Uh, one of the things that I want to start with is that parenting is a whole lot of things. But what one thing that it is not is easy. It is not that. That, to me, is the second hardest job that we'll ever do in life. And I say second because I think, personally, the hardest job that we'll ever do is work on ourselves. And I think as parents, often, uh, I had my son when I was 24, just months before I turned 25. I don't know who I am. I, you know, I'm still living in the shadow of who my parents told me I was, who the world told me I was. And although those things are well-meaning, that's not necessarily who God created me to be and who God created me and what he created me for. Because unfortunately, they can only give us what they had. And sometimes it just wasn't enough because what they got wasn't enough. But what I realized is that in order through this process with my son, in order to be heard, and I say this to people all the time, the responsibility of in communication is on the person who is communicating. If what I'm saying is going in one ear and out the other, it's not being heard, and I can recognize that it's not being heard, it is not the person who is listening's responsibility to change how they hear. It is my responsibility as a communicator to change how I communicate, especially if it's important to me that what I have to say gets heard. And in that process, I recognize that there are a couple of different issues that we work against that are set against us as mothers raising sons 
Um, one major issue is the fact that we're speaking to the opposite gender. And I don't know how many people on the call tonight are familiar with John Gray's and then up on Mars, moving off from Venus, a book written probably 20 plus years ago, but it is definitely an excellent read. Oftentimes we think of that in terms of, you know, romantic relationships with our husband, our partner, but the truth of the matter is that's very good information for communicating with our sons. How men are wired is very important. And we've got to remember that when we have sons, we have little men. I mean, they were wired a certain way. And in order for us to be heard, in order for us to get through, in order for us to make a difference in the things that we're trying to communicate, we've got to communicate in the language in which they hear. I can't speak my language and expect someone who speaks Spanish to understand me if they don't speak English. And so if I want to be understood, I've got to learn to speak their language. Of course, that's where balance comes in, mother and father in the household. But unfortunately, not often is that the case. And sometimes, even if it is, that communication is still lacking and we want to be heard. So we've got to remember how men think, or we've got to learn because we want to unlearn some of the negative things that we've been taught by well-meaning parents, of course, but some of the things to consider when we're communicating with the opposite gender is that for, for the most part, men get their self, their self-worth, self-esteem defined by achievement and accomplishments and being recognized and appreciated and accepted, the pat on the head. Whereas women, we get ours through relationships and the quality, our feelings and the quality of the relationships that we have. So when we speak to them, we've got to remember that's an immediate disconnect. They're not as concerned about feelings and the quality of relationships as they are with how well they perform the task at hand. And if we continue communicating about feelings and having this fabulous relationship, they, we lose them at some point. And again, the things are going in one ear and out the other, and we don't understand why we're not connecting. We're not connecting because they're wired differently than we are. Also, one thing that I realized is when there is a conflict Men tend to retreat into their cave, hence the term man cave, but they go there to process, to think. We're talking, they're processing, not listening. So if we don't allow them an opportunity to process, to hear what we say, to confirm whether or not what we said was what they heard, because oftentimes, even though I mentioned using different languages with men and women, oftentimes we're using the same words, but those words have different meaning. And we've got to allow them, we've got to one, make sure that they heard what we said. And then we've got to give them an opportunity to process that information. The constant talking and going, having to communicate and requesting a response it often leads them into a place of shutdown where they're just not interested in hearing what we have to say 
Hence the glassy-eyed look that I'm not listening while you're talking that we run into often and we think, are you listening to me? Because I know we've, I know I've said it. So I can only imagine that everybody else has said it. When and they they're gonna respond with yes, because otherwise would probably be detrimental, but they aren't listening. They're for sure not hearing, even if they are listening. Also, one thing that I recognize, typically with men, they will prove themselves if given the opportunity. And when I say given the opportunity, meaning the environment is conducive to them being successful. And by that, I mean tolerance, forgiveness, understanding, and a lack of rejection. Given that ground, they can cultivate some of the things they need to do. But oftentimes that's difficult for us because our tolerance is thin. Our rejection shows up on our face like, okay, here we go now with this, whatever it is you're getting ready to do that makes no sense or whatever excuse you're gonna make for whatever uh, the reason is you didn't do what I asked you to do. It's written all over our face. Communication is not just what we say, it's our body language and how we present in that space. I heard uh, my one of my favorite authors, Toni Morrison, who passed, I think last year, say one time years ago on the Oprah Winfrey Show that how we meet our kids when they walk into a room is so very important. She mentioned that she recognized that she needed to do better with that when raising her kids. And she started having a smile and being grateful to see them when they walked into the room or came home or showed up. That's welcoming as opposed to and I am guilty, I will own it, having a sense of, oh, here we go. What's the new drama today? What's the issue on the table today? That immediately throws our kids, particularly our sons, into shutdown mode. And they're not interested in communicating and they're not interested in us communicating with them. So they're kind of there in that space, but technically miles away. And another thing that is major in the issue of the communication gap between mothers and sons, and I think this expands beyond sons, but it definitely is true, is the generation gap that we have. Whether we own that level of responsibility or not, generations generally see things differently. Uh, I am a Gen Xer and my son is a millennial. How I communicate to him must again be in his language. Millennials feel differently than Gen Xers. Gen Xers typically grew up as parents, you know, having the opportunity to stay out till the sun went down and you know, we had a little bit of freedom from our parents who were potentially or possibly baby boomers. But when we became parents, we became helicopter parents. We're hovering. We're 100% involved in all of their activities, 100% engaged in every aspect of their life. And what we don't realize is what we're doing is hindering their ability to develop a thought process of their own. We're giving them hours because, of course, ours is right without 
any question in our minds anyway, but we haven't given them the opportunity to develop their own way of thinking, their own way of being in this world. Because again, God created them for a reason, just as he created us for a reason. And although they came through us, we've still got to accept the fact that they are their own being, their own human, and they have a walk and a path that they've got to follow. And it is our job to nurture and, and guide more so than it is to, to force them into the shape that we need to be beneficial. And some of that comes from the ego perspective. And I think, you know, I will own my level of ego and it's very necessary that we all own our part or the part that we play in the breakdown in communication. And ego plays a major part. Ego says, I need you to be what I need you to be so that I can feel how I need to feel. I need you to make A's because then that means I'm, I did it right. I got it right. And all of the world, and, and by world, I mean even my small world, or the ultimate world, if that's the level that our child uh, reaches, will know that surely you were a great parent because of all this greatness. And that's ego, because whether our child does all of the things that we feel like we want them to do or not, we can't allow the fact that you didn't do what I said to change how we choose to interact, operate, communicate with them and then deem them a failure because you didn't do it the way I said to do it or the way my generation did it. We were told to go to school, get a job, go to school, get an education, get a job and work that job for as long as they'll keep you. And if you lose that one, go get you another one because that's the way to go. Millennials aren't interested in that. Some of them are interested in school. Some of them aren't. Some of them are willing and wanting to explore their creative pursuits or creative endeavors. Some want to try entrepreneurship. But if we force upon them what was forced upon us without giving the opportunity to hear, who are you? What do you like? What do you want? What, what drives you? Then we're essentially putting them in a box that maybe they weren't created to be in. And we're creating fractured relationships and also creating patients therapists down the road because they're going to wind up on the therapist's couch talking about their mama and how, you know, we ruined their whole life. But um, I'm sure mine will if he chooses to go to a therapist. But we've got to own the fact that there is a different thought process, a different way of seeing the world. The lens through which they see life is totally different from the lens that we see life. My son, as I mentioned, is a millennial. He's the first generation that grew up with the internet and the accessibility of the internet. Now, some of some later kids, um, the Gen Y Zers and the, um, the Alpha, the Generation Alpha, they grow up. They are growing up with social media as their way of contact and not personal interaction and face-to-face -face interaction. And because of that, their thought process is different. Their way of thinking is different. What they, how they compute, 
how they make sense of life around them is totally different. And if our goal is to communicate, to be heard, we've got to understand one, what language is this person speaking? And then I it, make it my business to learn that language. How do I figure out how to get through? Because the onus is on me. We cannot, under any circumstance, think that if we continue doing what we've done, expecting them to change how they listen, that that's going to prove to be beneficial because it's not. They hear what they hear and they hear it based on their experiences and what life has taught them. And I can only imagine as we move forward with the interruption of COVID, how this generation and the kids that are in school now are gonna you know, progress moving forward because our interaction was school. I mean, we, we live, I remember one morning waking up late for school and my mom, who was mostly a housewife, she you know, worked part-time from time to time, but she was mostly a homemaker when we grew up. I was late and she said, well, I'm not taking you to school because it's your responsibility to get up and get to the bus on time. I was upset. I was angry because in my mind, that's my social interaction. I got to stay here all day with you and my younger siblings, if they weren't in school yet at the time, I'm thinking that's, that, that was not a good, a good deal for me. However, these kids today, social interaction is a cell phone that we pay for that they have in their hand. Oh, so you didn't go to school? Okay, well, I can talk to all my friends. I can go on social media. I can address whatever issues as far as interaction that I need. So we've got to figure out how to communicate, to be heard. How do we learn their language? How do we decode all of the technology that surrounds them as well as us? Do we put limits on their FaceTime, their screen time? Do we insist on conversation? Do we talk to them about the things that we experienced when we grow up, when we grew up, which of course leaves them with the look of, really, we're going, we're going to tell this story again? Are we going back in the old days again? Or, you know, and some of, our, some of the younger kids think that we were slaves because they're so disconnected from our age and what they're going, what they have going on. Oh, you didn't have a cell phone when you was growing up. You didn't. You had a phone. They don't. They couldn't dial a rotary phone if they had to. If they need had an emergency, the, the house would blow up because they don't. They don't know how to do that. But we do, and we cannot think that with the at the intrusion of technology that it hasn't changed their language. Our sons are looking outward for uh, role models. And even if we change our language and are able to communicate with our sons and we do a better job, we still aren't men. Uh, so we definitely will need to try to encourage some measure of healthy interaction with coaches or teachers or you know people who work in those feels to ensure that our kids get the interaction that they need if, if we don't have husbands or, or brothers around that are willing to take up that mantle. We've still got to encourage that. And sometimes it's hard. We talked to, you know, a young man yesterday who mentioned that his family moved here, his mom, himself, and two sisters, and there was no one here, no family here. They moved from Texas and they had no family here. 
So he was the only male in their family. So that would be very difficult. And of course he spoke about the struggles that he's had and in communication with my son, one of the things that I know was a major disconnect for us was thinking that I didn't understand him. And it was very interesting because as he and I spoke, you know, I'm was emotional about it because I'm thinking, well, you didn't understand me, you know, but this this was years, this was years ago, but it was years after, you know, him being in a teenager and the struggle was there. We did not understand each other, but neither one of us knew what to do. He for sure didn't know as the kid in the equation. And I did not have the knowledge or the wisdom or the understanding. You only know what you know when you know it. And as they say, when you know better, you do better. And I can say honestly that as I've learned to appreciate him as a male, as a young man, as a millennial, our conversation has changed. The uh, reception of my wisdom or my advice has changed. I don't offer it as much as I did before because I understand that a lot of unsolicited advice makes some men feel like, well, you think I'm incompetent or you think I don't know or you think I'm stupid. Whereas we're thinking, well, there are things that you don't know and we're trying to offer you some advice to help you understand and navigate the world as we know it, but they've got to learn how to navigate the world that they live in. And as we do the things that we do, some of those things are doing more hindering than it is helping as all of the advice again, They don't get to think for themselves. My son made an admission to a counselor that he didn't know what he liked because I had always told him. And I did, you know, this is what we're going to do. This is where we're going to go. This is what we're going to eat. So having the opportunity to make choices, I didn't, I can own that. I didn't give him a lot of opportunities to make a lot of choices. I would ask some basic things. You want ketchup on your hot dog, whatever, things like that. Not major, but to take into consideration that that's where self-confidence comes from, making choices, making decisions being able to do that and feel comfortable and confident in the choices and the decisions that you've made and, and understanding that when you make choices and there are consequences and that you have to accept the consequence. But if those choices, however well-meaning they are, are laid out for you, then you never learn that. You never gain that level of insight. You never stretch yourself to that degree to, to think for yourself and to make the decision. I'm a lover of quotes and a quote that I rely on a lot of times, even I say to my son, sometimes in jest is, you don't get to be old and wise without having yet been young and stupid or young and foolish. And that is where you learn what to do, what not to do, how to navigate, what experiences did you have? How did they work out for you? Were they good, were they not? You learn something from that. But if I tell you the good decision all the time, then you won't ever know how to handle the bad decisions that ultimately you're going to make because I'm not going to be there 100% of the 
time to tell you the right decision to make. So in addition to wanting what we say not to go in one ear and out the other ear, we've got to realize that in order for even the life lessons that we want them to learn and the takeaways that they can you know, take into young adulthood and adulthood, they can only be heard when we're tolerant of who they are. We don't have an expression of criticism and rejection. And we are understanding of how they see life and how they navigate. Now, does that mean we have to accept everything they bring? No, we don't. But that requires us to have boundaries and limits and conversations about our boundaries and our limits. And then that brings up the issue again of, of uh, consequences. These are my limits as you know, the owner of this home. If you're gonna live here, these are the things that I expect. And if you don't, this is what is expected of you when you break those, uh, when you disavow the limits that I put in place. And sometimes that's difficult. And well, not sometimes, all the time, that's difficult. But what I know for a fact is when we relax those limits and boundaries, they tend to take advantage. They're going to take advantage every time. They're going to pull on our heartstrings. They're going to want us to, to give in to what is easy for them. But that's not what's best for them. And the one thing I have said to friends and anyone who would listen in reference to this subject, tough love is called tough love for a reason. It's not just tough on them. It's tough on us. It's hard to stop nurturing. One, when that's who you are. And two, that's what you've done with this person from the moment you conceived them. You had to stop eating certain things, drinking certain things. Certain foods just didn't sit with you that you ate or enjoyed, you know, two weeks before. You couldn't go to certain places. Your life changed in an effort to be available and to nurture and to provide the best possible environment for this child. But as our child grows, our responsibilities and our way of dealing with them has to change as well. And as their needs change, again, it's our responsibility to figure out those needs, to figure out how they're communicating to us, and then to respond accordingly. Uh, the last thing I'd like to speak about before I give this back to Dr. Leslie is um, another book, The Five Love Languages of Kids. I think that was so instrumental in my life of understanding how to figure out my son's love language. Because once I figured that out, that then allowed me to give him the pats on the head, the attaboys that he needed in order to create a more conducive relationship for us, for me to be able to be heard and for him to feel like he was heard as well. Because I know for many of us as Gen Xers, we didn't feel heard. We didn't get a voice in our home when we were growing up because I said so was the response. And if you got a whole lot to say, that was going to wind up being uh, not a good idea. Um, so I did not want him to feel that he wasn't heard. But if I created an environment where he didn't want to speak, I was doing the same thing. Essentially, that had been done to me, but, but using a different method. So the five love languages for kids, um, I think the author is Gary Chapman, is a, a very good book to consider. 
Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus, another very good book by John Gray. And I don't think it matters where your kids are in this phase. If you read those books, choose to change how you communicate. You can effectively change where you are today. We can't go back and change what has occurred, but we can, moving forward, create a better environment for communication, open lines, and an opportunity for us as mothers of sons to communicate and connect on a better level and potentially be able to help them when they start raising their own kids, as my son has made me a grandmother of a two-month-old. So we still got time for me to work on this relationship so that maybe he'll be listening. But those are some things that I am going to talk to him about as he's raising an opposite gender child and a child that's being born in a totally different um, generation. So I think if we would employ some of those things to listen, to be heard, changing our line of communication, listening to understand and communicating to be heard, it will make a definite impact on how our kids respond to us, what our sons recognize, and, and what we want them to recognize is that we love them without question, but sometimes they don't feel the love because they see the criticism and they hear the intolerance and they feel the rejection. So we've got to learn how to remove those things from the equation so that they can understand that when we communicate, we're communicating with love. Dr. Jack, Dr. Liz. Amen, amen. That was some powerful stuff. And I know we've got questions and I'm going to start it off with, um, and there's, for those of you that don't know, if you look down uh, on your dashboard, there are some reactions. If you press that, you'll see a raise hand sign. If you, you see in my box, there's a little hand. If you press that, it'll show a raised hand sign and you can, uh, we'll know that you have a question or comment. But I wanted to ask uh, Ms. Rivers for when, uh, when your son, mentioned to a counselor that he didn't really feel heard, so to speak. Did he, because he, you know, he couldn't make, he realized that you made a lot of the decisions for him. Was there any animosity from him uh, towards you on, as far as him understanding it's, it's because of her, it's because of my mom that I'm not really making these decisions. She didn't allow me to do these certain things and she did this for me. So I, I am this way. Did you find any of that type of animosity coming from him? Well, I did, but I knew at that, by then I had recognized some of the errors in my ways and I was in the process of learning to communicate better and to communicate differently. But what I recognized was a lot of the animosity comes less from what I say and more from how he felt. So my intolerance, my sense of criticism, my body language that was filled with rejection was, was more of what fueled the animosity than just that he wasn't heard. I think uh, he was a little bit more mature at that time and he was able to communicate but I know that the animosity was there. And of course it's there. I mean, that's the, 
the tug of war that we get into with our kids when they reach a certain age, they want to do things their way. They want to think for themselves and do it how they want to do it. And we're steadily trying to, to force them to see things our way. So yes, I did feel some animosity, but by then I had at least enough wisdom not to get angry and retaliate with, well, you didn't, you know, kind of response and able to then sit down and be able to have, you know, more of an adult conversation. That's good. Um, I don't see any hands, so I'm going to ask my next question. For, I know we had spoken in a podcast, so I kind of have some prior information. But in the podcast, you talked about his father and how, you know, he grew up in a two-parent family household. Both of you were physically there with him. You were married for 20 years, but actually your husband was emotionally absent and you feel like that kind of had a part to play in all everything that you did as well as the things that he did. Can you talk about that just a little bit? Yes. Technically, my ex and I were married for 20 years. We were not together in the home with our son, EJ, for 20 years. We separated, you know, somewhere in the midst of that process. And he was living in his place and I was living in mine. We had just not officially divorced. So there was a period of time when we were together in the home. And then there was a period of time when we weren't in the home before our son became, you know, of age. Now, what I recognized and learned about my ex is that his personality is more of a passive. He's always got a smile. He's, you know, he's just an easygoing person. Uh, most people who know him like him. You know, he's not going to, you know, ruffle any feathers. He's not going to rock the boat. He's just kind of an even kill kind of guy. And a lot of times, I think he allowed his even killness. Well, what I realized was, and this was after the fact, that we basically were playing good cop, bad cop, but I was always the bad cop. Because his personality was passive, and he was really not interested in being the bad cop, I stepped up and figured, well, somebody's got to be it. And since my personality is not so passive, and I really didn't have a problem with being the bad guy. Okay, well, I'll be it. I'll, I'll play that role. So I think the balance was off for our son. And even when we did separate, you know, the communication, as far as him being able to communicate or his dad being there, he, he, they could have communication. It was just the quality of that communication. I don't think his father, well, I can say for a fact now, that he wasn't giving him uh, advice that you would expect a father to give their son as they're matriculating into teenage years, as they're getting ready to matriculate into college life and then out into the world. I think it was very surface level and it was very, you know, the door, the line was open, uh, but I don't think there was a lot of information, pertinent information going back and forth, what my son knew was that if he was in trouble and he needed immediate help and there were, was danger, he would call me because he knew I would get it done. 
if he was in trouble and he knew I was going to be angry, he would call his dad because his dad would, would, you know, he would make it be okay. You know, it's not as bad as you think. You know, he got in trouble years ago one time in school and I got a call and I called him and he went and picked him up. And when I got home, I found out that they had gone, he picked him up and they went to get some ice cream. Is that the message we want to send for him getting sent home from school early? I think not. But I think in his mind, you're going to address it when you get home. So I might as well make it good before we get there. So that was the experience that we had. Are there any more questions before I uh, ask another one? I got a question. Can you tell me a little bit more about his father's parents? His mother and father were married for a very long time, but I do know that they had married and divorced each other a couple of times. It was somewhat of a tumultuous, it was a tumultuous relationship. His father drank and his mom was a very passive woman. So there wasn't a lot of uh, what, I would, what I grew up understanding to be parental guidance in his home, we had a conversation some years after we had separated. And I said to him, I said, I just couldn't understand how I kept being the bad guy. And he was like, well, what are you talking about? I said, if I, if, for instance, if, if he worked nights, I work days, evenings. So if I'm at work late and I call home and it's 9.30, and bedtime is 8.30, I may say, I hear my son running around in the background and I'm saying to his dad, why is he not in the bed? His, his bedtime was 8.30 or nine o'clock. And his response would be to yell, EJ, your mama said go to bed. Or that would be a similar response to, as he finished all of his homework, I don't know. EJ, your mama said, do your homework. Make sure your homework is done before she gets home. So when I asked him about that, he said part of that is because I didn't have that structure when I was growing up. He said, my dad was out doing whatever he wanted to do, and my mom was at work. He said, we didn't have a bedtime. He said, y'all went to bed at a certain time. Y'all put, he said, y'all took baths, put pajamas on, and went to bed at a certain time. He said, we fell asleep wherever we were. With whatever we had on, we got up whatever time we got up, and we got to school. However, we got to school, there was no structure in his household. So for him, although he may have recognized that that wasn't necessarily the best situation, I don't think he knew how to do it differently. He or he equated it with negativity and he didn't want any part of it. Exactly, exactly. Now that could be too. So, you know, he just, so he offered no structure because he had none. And in his mind, that's what we did. So I don't I don't really see why it has to be done different. And that was a conversation even that we had in reference to private school and the schools that I chose to put him in. He was like, well, we went to public school. What difference does it make? Both of our parents had four kids. They didn't have the money to put four kids in private school. We have one and we both have decent jobs and we make decent money 
and we have the ability to put him in private school. Why would we not want to offer him that? Mm-hmm. After the fact, he appreciated it. But initially, there was some pushback. Yeah. yeah. Does, do you think that your son looks at his father now and thinks, I'm not going to do this with my daughter, the two-month-old that he has now. Is he starting to think a little bit about which characteristics from each parent, you and or his father, that he's ready to take on and he'll take to his parenthood? I know for a fact, prior to becoming a parent, we had a conversation and he had posed some questions about his dad and, you know, just... He and I, and I know that his thought process is based on life, lifestyle, um, personality, accomplishments, or whatever. He he wants to be like me as far as a parent, but I think he would like to leave the negative that he probably felt from me to the side. I think he can appreciate some of the things that his dad did bring to the equation. But I do think he's given some thought to the fact that the way I parented, albeit very difficult when you're in the midst of, he can now, I think, start to look back and have an appreciation for the things that I did and see where some of my angst came from. So I do think he's giving some consideration to it, but I know for a fact that a lot of that doesn't come into play at this stage of his parent life. because. She's two months old, so there's not a lot of pushback, not a lot of drama. Just feed her, change her, she did. So I yeah. think it's kind of, you know, in the back of his mind, but I don't think he's given it as much thought as he will in the upcoming, you know, years and months and years. Okay, great. Dr. Uh, Leslie, uh, Miss Brenda had a question, and then Ms. Mr. Cardo there. Oh, Brenda, okay. Was Brenda, was her hand up first? I believe so. I'm not sure. I, I can't remember. Okay. I saw Cardo's. That's fine. Either way you want to do it. Yeah. I just want to move your way. Okay. Mr. Grant, we can go ahead. I'm looking okay. over to the front. Yeah, Rachel, I'm curious. Um, would you say that uh, your son's uh, wife or his, his uh, child's mother, um, is her personality like your personality or completely opposite your personality? Um, From what I can tell so far, it's opposite. But what I do know is they are similar in some ways. Uh, not similar to me, but she's similar to him as he is an only child and she's the youngest of three. But she's not an outspoken person such as myself. She tends to be a little bit more reserved, but she does speak up because my mom was more of, you know, not an outspoken person. And my dad had, I have a personality much like my father, more um, outspoken, more gregarious. Um, And she is not that, but she's not me either. So I think with her, he's found somewhat of a mix, but I keep in mind that she's 25. So, you know, she's still finding her voice. Hi, Rochelle. Uh, I'm Brenda. Hi. And um, 
first of all, everything you just said, I'm just like over here just going, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> Uh, my son is older, so I'm finding, you know, I'm 60 and he's 36. Your son, is your son about 25? Is what you're saying right now? He's 28. He's oh, 28. So he's, so now, so then how do you talk to him as a 28-year-old? I, I keep in mind that as much as I want to say he is my son and I know best, and let me just tell you all that life has to offer, I am now trying to listen more and understand his perspective. I ask more questions than I do provide answers. Um, I wait to hear what he has to say, what I've learned in just a conversation yesterday we were talking. And I said to him, I said, he was talking about a situation that was going on. So I had no idea that was part of the equation. Well, how do you feel about it? What do you think about it? And he responded, and then he, after he responded, he asked, well, what do you think? What, you know, what do you think? How do you think I should handle it? And I told him that he, I think he's equipped to make the decision on his own, but if he needed some background or resources or, you know, just a little bit of information to help him, you know, make the right decision, I was there and available. But I know that he's more receptive now because I've changed my way of communicating. Well, yeah, because when you start getting the, well, what would you do? I mean, right? Doesn't that just make you feel like, oh, uh, what? Because <laughs> that, I think. I'm going to tell you what I would do. <laughs> exactly. Because usually I'm like, okay, now this is what you should do. So right. learning to just stop. So I just basically listen more, ask right. more questions, and just, and, and just, I think maybe just those two. I, I really I think so as well, because one thing that I learned, um, I did not mention this, nor did um, Dr. Leslie mention this. I'm a life coach. And one of the things that I learned in coaching and kind of I started to learn as I grew, you know, spiritually and, you know, just as a woman, is that the answers that we seek are within. So if we ask the right questions, they, the person will find or come to or draw the conclusion that they need to draw. If we tell them they have our perspective and what we've given them, we may tell them what they eventually conclude, but it means more to them when they conclude it based on the questions we ask than when we tell them. And I just wanted to add to what you all just said, part of the challenge that mothers have, uh, those who are, who over nurture, you know, just like you said in your presentation, we want to tell them how to do everything, what to do, how to do, what time to do it. And what we have found is that does not work. So when you said your son asked you a question the other day, that was a huge red flag that there was a turning point. Things have changed because now he's asking you for your opinion. He's asking you, he's asking, and that's where you want, you, you, you want them to be at the place where they're asking you, not you soliciting your opinion um, for everything, your unsolicited opinion. And that's what we tend to do as over nurturers. And that's when they stop listening. Yeah. <laughs> you just keep giving me and giving me and I don't want to hear it. 
is their thought. So when they can come to you as a young adult and ask, you at least then can recognize that they appreciate what you have to offer as opposed to thinking you don't know what you're talking about, you know, kind of thinking. So it was a moment that I felt, you know, okay, well, the lights are, the lights are coming on. So it was, it was a very good uh, experience. Wonderful. Teresa, I'm asking you to unmute. There you go. Hello, everyone. Hello. Um, first of all, I want to say, Miss Rachel, um, thank you very much for your amazing words. I was over here saying, just like the one lady just said, mm-hmm, yes. <laughs> um, everything you're saying is uh, amazing. Um, we do uh, communicate in a lot of ways, not just verbally, but um, um, our body language tells a whole lot. And you're mm -hmm. so true. I have two sons. My youngest is 33 and my oldest is 39. And my youngest is so funny. Even when he was little, he would look at my face and he would say, mama, what's wrong with your face? <laughs> right. Yeah. After he would ask me a question and I would say, nothing's wrong with my face. And he said, but you're not smiling. <laughs> so he would actually know when I was unhappy about something and when I was okay with something. And right. I would say, so, you know, his, and it's funny because you're right. They, they hear you, but I would always say, and my son would say, mom, I hear you. And I say, okay, but are you listening to me? Right. I always say to him, I say, I say, okay, you hear me? Yes. I would always say, uh, and so I love when you said, when you were saying something about um, you hear, but the listening process. So I would always say to them when, even when they was young, I would say, you know, I know you hear me. You say you hear me. I said, but are you listening? And I would even right. ask them to repeat what I just said to them. Mm -hmm. I right. said, okay, so then repeat to me what mama just said to you. Cause I want to know right. if you, you're actually listening to me. Exactly. You know? And that's so, key in communication with anyone. You know, yes. when we give some information, the first thing we should do is verify that the person we've given the information to heard yes. what we were trying to convey. Repeat, exactly. can you repeat what I said so that I'm clear that we understand each other? And what I typically do when someone says, or what I'm learning to do, when someone delivers some information to me, is say, so I hear you saying X, Y, Z, just to yes. make sure that we're on the same page. So I think yes. it's great. I did not have that much understanding when my son, my son, because I only have one, was young because that was not a part of what I had been given. So I didn't have it to give. There was not a conversation of, do you understand? It was just, do what I said. That was it. So, you know, you I know, think when, for I, me, when he was young. Yeah, I think for me, because I was raised, I think it was Mr. Wayne that said that I was raised in that era too, where children ought to be seen and not heard. Mm -hmm. So that exactly. bothered that bothered me a lot. So I used to say to myself, when I have children, I'm not going to treat my children like that. I'm really going to allow my children 
to have a voice, like you said. Um, let them have a voice, but at the same time, there's going to be a limit, you know, how you have that voice. You're not going to talk to me any kind of way, but I'm going to let you, I'm going to listen to you. You know, yeah. I may not agree with what you have to say, <laughs> but I'm going to listen to you. <laughs> right. I think that I inherently said to myself, I'm going to allow my kids, you know, when I was younger to speak. Mm -hmm. But then once I'm in the fire, I kind of reverted to what I knew <laughs> not what I wanted to do. So it took, I made some subtle changes. You know, I would at least go back sometimes and apologize, you know, right. for my blow up, not necessarily for why I blew up, but how I blew up, you know, and have that conversation, which wasn't something that I had or that I had received, but I still didn't do enough to do what right. you said. So I understand. I thought it. And sometimes we think that we're doing that, but we're not. Right. Well, I think you've done an amazing job just listening to you. I'm like, I don't even have any questions. And Dr. Glissy said, Teresa, where are you at? And I'm like, just listening to you, you're I mean you you're awesome, you know. So I'm like, wow. You Thank know, so, <laughs> just listening. When they when they take you through the ringer, we don't go through the ringer for nothing. Oh, trust me, I I I've gone through it and I go through it. <laughs> Right. You know, but I'm listening. But just like you had said, um, I really believe your sons will teach you how to raise them if we pay attention. If we pay attention, but we forget <laughs> that they come with that and we try to force what we know on True. them. And True. and that's where I think it starts to go off the rails. True. So we have another question, Calandra. Yes. So, um, hi, Rochelle, great job. I do have a question. So how do you propose to rebuild if the communication has broken down and you want to rebuild? How do you propose that that occur? I think the best way to rebuild is to start doing what you know to do, to make the changes that you need to make and be patient if it is not received on time number one or time number two when you've made that change because they have to process the fact that the communication has changed. They're still viewing and hearing what we used to say. So we've got to make the effort to employ the tactics and the skills that we've learned, reach, dig deeper into our tool and pull out a little bit more compassion. I know that with my son, one of the things he would say to me, even when he was young, and he says it now sometimes, I haven't heard it as much lately, but I know even as an adult, well, well, why are you upset? And I'm thinking as the other young lady said, well, I'm not upset. Well, here's my way you look like, you know, and you know, I got stuff on my mind. I'm kind of in my mind thinking, here we go with some foolishness, but, I've got to be mindful of how I present when he comes to me. Do I have the demeanor of, I don't want to hear it, and it's some obvious, or am I eager to hear? And then it's going to require some acting skills initially because you probably still got the thought process. But I think it's just time. It's employing the tactics, changing how you communicate, and then giving it time and having a conversation 
to say, haven't you recognized that I've been communicating a little bit different or that I'm trying to do a little bit different? And then once they start noticing it, I think it'll make a difference in the relationship. Yeah, and something else, thank you, Mr. Grant. Something else I wanted to add to what you said, Ms. Rivers, is I'm sorry. Of course. Because, yeah, there are times when, um, you know, they will tell you what you have done wrong or what, you know, what they feel that you have done to them. And they may be absolutely right. And maybe you don't necessarily agree with them. But the key is, especially as they get older, and if you hear the same thing over and over, now it's time for an apology on your part and just disarm the whole thing and just say, you know what? You're right. That I, I may have done, look, I may have done what you said. I didn't mean it. That is what I knew to do at the time. Uh, but I apologize to you. And I, if we can just start from where we are right now, I will do the best that I can. You know, some mothers, I, I mentioned that to one parent I was talking to on a breakthrough call, and she said, I'm not apologizing to him. He needs to do what I said he needs to do because I said, well, you're going to keep getting what you're getting because I'm trying to tell you. Uh, exactly. So she couldn't get, it, get him to do anything. But those who use that, including myself, it works. It works. It makes a difference. It definitely makes a difference. And just before, even if you want to say, but this is why I said or did, before you go down that road, before you enter that, just apologize for the, you know, because if they feel a certain way, at the very least, we can apologize for making them feel the way, because that was not our intention. Our intention was to communicate a message, not to tear them down or break them down. So we can apologize for that. And I think then the lines of communication are open so that they can understand where that thought process came from. But we've got to own that we are wrong sometimes. So the mother that said, I'm not apologizing, she's in for a rocky road. <laughs> yep. Because these new kids, that is an expectation. We didn't have that expectation because we knew it is not ever coming. At least it wasn't coming in my household to, to sit down. I apologize. It was an immediate, well, this is why I did what I did. And, and regardless, so I understand. We've got to apologize. Right. Um, Ms. Teresa and then Ms. Delrose, and then we're going to get ready to close out because Ms. Delrose, I haven't heard from you. We've heard from you each, uh, each day. Ms. Teresa, did you still want to say something? Say something. Oh no! I oh was no! Clapping. I was, I was okay. clapping. I was agreeing. <laughs> oh, okay, good. using your reaction signs. Yeah, I was, um, I was agreeing. Okay, Miss Delrose. I do. Am I on? Yes, you are. We yeah. hear you. Okay, Miss Rochelle, I want to thank you. You were so open and so wise as you spoke, and I. I just took so many notes. I, I, I really agreed with so many things that you said. And uh, one thing in particular is uh, you spoke about um, greeting your kids with a smile and having that pleasant uh, look on your face when you enter the room. 
And I can tell you not only for your children, but also for your spouse. Indeed. It makes such a difference in how the entire evening will go. I remember uh, years ago coming home from work and walking in the house and just have a very pleasant look and and the, the atmosphere was warm and loving and it was just a lot of laughter. I so, agree. So yes, I agree with you completely. And I too have read uh, the uh, men are from Mars and uh, women are from Venus or the other way around. And, right. Uh, yes, absolutely wonderful. Really gave me an insight into uh, how the uh, the opposite gender thinks. Exactly. And and it really made a difference because suddenly you begin to um, see things differently. Right. Yeah, and, and I appreciate that so very much. Um, I think that we should also commend ourselves for wanting to do things differently. Because I grew up, I grew up where, again, uh, you are to be seen and not heard or heard. And so it took a while for me to break that habit with, with my right. children. And I, I, again, I see other parents who like, no, I pay the bill. I do everything. No, I, I say what, what goes. And so those of us who are willing to change, uh, to, uh, to accommodate our children and to, to let them know that we, we want to understand them and, and give them right. a good, a good um, growing up experience. Right. I, I think we should, we should commend ourselves for doing that. I did too. I agree. Right. And you are exactly right. And I could not have said it any better. We are, those of us who are willing to change should be commended. Uh, as I mentioned, I'm a lover of quotes and one of a quote that I really like says the illiterate of the future will not be those who cannot read. It will be those who cannot learn, unlearn and relearn. Yes. And we are in position, especially with our kids. And I'm a believer that my child was sent here to make me a better person to grow me up. It wasn't about me shaping and forming him into something, but God was trying to do a work in me. He knew what I needed to get me to be where I needed to be, but I've got to allow that work to be done, which means I've got to be willing to change. I've got to be willing to listen. and I've got to be willing to do it differently than I've done it before. Yes. Amen. I love that. I love that. So Mr. Wayne, you there? I'm right here. Yep. Did you have any closing words before? And uh, so we can close out in prayer. I did. I, I really thought that uh, she did a fabulous job. I really wanted to thank her and particularly for three main things. One, really amplifying the difference in uh, the dynamic of the family, as we've been talking about ongoing throughout the week, whether it's a husband and wife in the family, whether they're acting in sync or not in sync, and also the fact that they're, when there's a single parent, some of the dynamics that happen there. The second thing is the generational differences when you broke down um, just differences in generational Y, X, Z, 
post-World War II babies, right? Um, so where we come into play, I think that's huge. And I think that also gets into the communication challenges and also as it relates to their circle of influence, right? right. So it tends to be wider for them because they have the technology, they have internet, they have cell phones. As you mentioned, we were, yeah, when I, we were coming up, my parents were all about getting this house before the lights, when the lights came on, street lights came on. So <laughs> with them, you know, they're making plans to the cell phone. So it's just a really different, different deal, right? Whether they have to deal with not being bullied, but just all kinds of uh, peer pressure uh, right. through the internet. So it's a really different dynamic there. Uh, and then that's the difference between that versus being seen and not heard because seen not heard, we like to jump into our parents' conversations all day long and, you know, boy, watch them out, right? Whereas these kids, you know, they'll, they're content being off alone with a closed door and they'll be on that phone for hours and hours on end. So, and they think they have more leeway and more intellect to have that right to jump some conversations. But then sometimes you won't even see them. You got to pull them out of the room. So, exactly. yeah, so those different dynamics. And then also third, which is what we've been talking about, is just just the gender difference between male and female. So I really appreciate you bringing up women are from, from Venus, men are from Mars. Is that right? <laughs> well, yeah, basically. <laughs> the other way around, yeah. I read that book a long time ago, but I'm glad you brought it up. And then someone else talked about uh, the, uh, I thought about the book that I read a long time ago about the purpose-driven life. And oh, just yeah. understanding how to have a good purpose in your life. So overall, I, I really appreciate how you pulled that together. Job well done. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you guys for having me. I really appreciate it. This conference has been great. The, everyone that spoke, I missed uh, one night. I had a family uh, gathering, but every night that I've been here, I've, I've learned something and I've gleaned some valuable information and takeaways. So thank you all as well. Yes. And so having said that, if you have a link you can go into the platform and review any of the recordings or you can, um, you know, see any of the ones that you have not seen. You just need the link to go in. So yours will be downloaded tonight, Miss Rivers. Anybody who, who missed it or that you want to share it with, you can feel free to share the link with them because like you said, all week has been wonderful. And tomorrow will be just as powerful as well. We have Dr. Goodman on. She is a doctor. Uh, she's, an, she's a doctor who went to medical college, but uh, med school, I should say, but she actually practices from a Christian standpoint. She um, does uh, everything naturally, oh, naturally and with the word of God. So she's a, you really want to hear what she has to say. And then on Saturday to close us out, we have my friend, Miss Doris, who is 94 years old. And she has lots and lots of wisdom. She is uh, one of my number one fans for my book, Setting Boundaries uh, with Your Son. <laughs> and she's 94. So that lets you know the struggle is real. And like you said, Miss Rivers, it can go on and on. And she's a testament to that. So you definitely want to be here on on Saturday. She has her right mind. She has everything at 94. So please tune in tomorrow and Saturday to hear both of those guest speakers. And we thank you all for coming in tonight. Thanks again, Ms. Rivers. You did a fantastic job. And I also want to add too, 
uh, to make sure you go inside the Facebook group to write your takeaways from today. That's the private Facebook group. And there is a podcast that Ms. Rivers and I did that's in there somewhere. If not, you can find it on uh, the Dr. Leslie Inspires on iTunes. She did a, if you think this was good, she did a more in-depth talk uh, about her and her relationship with her son. So you can find her podcast uh, there as well. So thank you all. I'm going to go. Well, Mr. Wayne, can you go ahead and lead us out in prayer? And then we will end. We'd be happy to. Everybody bow your heads, please. Most gracious Heavenly Father, just really appreciate you blessing us with such a dynamic group of women and men. God, it's just a blessing to hear all the strength amongst the group as a whole. We ask that you will continue to help us be the pillars of our community as we represent our sons and our daughters, uh, whether biological or not, whether it's us being aunts or uncles or whatever the case may be. God, help us to continue to grow with one another, God. Help uh, when, within, when the meeting ends, help us to reach out and develop uh, external communications so that we can lean on one another as a village. We love you and we thank you. It is in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. 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 Have a good evening, everyone. Thank you. Same to you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Dr. Leslie Inspires. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review on your preferred podcast listening platform. We really appreciate that effort. Also, for more content and resources, please be sure to visit our website, www.drlesslieinspires.com. We'll see you in the next episode.